Hello and welcome to Joko Yo. I confess, my home, my house, land on which I live, it, it it's not named. I don't have a name for my place. I mean to say, I'm not in the habit of naming things that don't have a conscience. You know what I mean? Like, we've named our dogs. My relatives have names. My kid. They all have names. But inanimate objects, not so much. You know, like, I don't name my phone. Like, Betsy, you know? You know how that sounds? Like in the middle of a conversation and your phone rings and you say, hang on, I need to answer Betsy. You, you know, my, my favorite pen is not named, oh, I don't know, Chuck. My typewriter is not named Beth. No more than my car is named Effie. I mean, could you imagine how messed up all of these new like subdivisions and housing developments that we see pop up around us would be if we all named our houses? Now, people do name their businesses, restaurants, stores, etc. A good name reflects the purpose of the business and a catchy name sure helps drive customers to you, helping your business succeed. So I guess that's why, at least a little, we see people name their agriculture businesses in the 1700s to 1800s. For example, one of the largest plantations in Johnston County in the era was Pineville. It was just outside of Clayton, and, is, and a large section of it is now called Flowers Plantation. It it wasn't a town, and then it was owned by only one person, and it may well be that nobody really knew it by the name Pineville unless people had business there or needed to reference the plantation part of the land. But like today, having a well-recognized name for your business can't hurt if you're trying to draw customers. And the more well-known, the more business you can get. I mean, the more often the name of your business is in people's mouths, the better, I mean, unless your business name is Jada Pinkett Smith, but whatever. It went, never mind, never mind. For big agriculturalists of the 18th and 19th centuries, and modern ones too, for that matter, after the harvest of whatever is being grown, it must be sold. The stuff that you harvest has got to be sold. And timing is absolutely everything. So are things like reputation and quality and connections, volume, distributability, familiarity, or brand awareness, afford another term for it. It's good to be near or even on a river in the 18th and 19th century. With better water access comes better distributability, which is how farmers on the Noose and Cape Fear rivers did particularly well, better than their neighbors would have done. There, or those with very large farms could produce very large crop volume, but access to a water supply was necessary for irrigation, which would give a large farm near the river very good odds to not only be the first to the market, but also be able to flood, no pun intended, but flood the market with their product. Okay, there was a pun intended. Making sure that you have a disproportionate share of the market means you get to control the crop prices of that market to a level that suits you and usually at the expense of other 
people that are trying to get their crop to market, like plantation owners of the 18th century. But not all farmers could be fortunate enough to have their lands beside the river, which ended up costing them money and distribution costs, like getting it to the river and or across it. And, and those costs would, of course, eat up the profit that, that river-bound plantations did not have to worry about. So if you're not on the river and you lack the advantage of distributability, you'll have to make it up somewhere else. And one of the most reliable ways is through name recognition. And you'll gain name recognition with brand visibility. In other words, the more people that see your name, the more familiar they will be with your, well, with, with you. And, and the more familiar, the more comfortable they will be with you and your brand. And, and the more likely they are to seek it out even if the quality may not be as good as others. I mean, McDonald's is a prime example of that. You've got to get people to know the name of your business. You've got to make sure your brand is everywhere, written, printed, spoken. And if people are comfortable with the business and trust the business, the owner of the company or business or plantation will be held in high regard as well even if he doesn't deserve that high regard. Again, we see this in the modern world when people, for some reason, put owners and operators of successful, or at least appearing successful, companies or on pedestals for some reason and attribute like near superhuman qualities to them when they may never have exhibited those qualities in the slightest regard. Even sometimes going so far as to look past absolutely reprehensible behaviors because owning or operating a successful company somehow puts you in a higher class whose rules are different for the people in that class. I mean, explain Elon Musk, for example, owner or operator of Tesla, SpaceX, etc. I mean, from my limited exposure to him, the few times I've seen him or heard him speak, I have yet to hear him actually say or exhibit anything that rese resembles genius. But then again, maybe I haven't seen it. But still, he's held in a higher regard for some strange reason. Such is the power of brand visibility and name recognition. For some minds, being the owner or operator of a famous company or business can cover, again, inexcusable behavior. And even turn genuinely bad qualities in, in a human into somehow merits or good qualities. As Richard Nixon famously said, it's not a crime if the president does it. Well, he was wrong, <laughs> but he was also owned to something. Of course, because wrong is wrong, no matter, no matter who does it. But sometimes the human psyche can excuse even criminal behavior and find people innocent on the grounds that they are being idolized. Again, such is the power of brand visibility and brand recognition. It is uh, assisted today by media outlets and consumerism, but what about the 1700s and 1800s? How in the world can you increase brand awareness without commercials? Well, it would help if you were a map maker and or a surveyor. Like, if you were given the job of drawing one of the original maps of a new county, you surveyed some of it, drew the first maps, you could, 
in theory, include your house plantation name on the maps. You know, mark it as a destination in this brand new map of this brand new county. Put a dot somewhere. Maybe make it somewhere important, like a landmark. And everyone that uses a map of any sort of the area, in other words, everybody, would see your name, the plantation's name, and not the names of your competitors' plantations, unless you chose to, because you were the one that drew the maps, and not them. Instant visibility and universal brand recognition for anybody doing business in the area. And this is how Joel Lane, father, at least partial, of Wake County and Raleigh, came to be a North Carolina legend. Now, by the time he introduced the bill in the legislature to create the county of Wake in 1771, he had acquired a large grant of land on the then western border of the established colony of North Carolina, along with John Hinton and Theophilus Hunter, and as a large landholder, he was automatically granted a seat in the legislature, first representing Johnston, then representing Wake, which was carved out of Johnston after he helped to create it. When drawing the first maps of Wake, he made sure to include the tiny, itty-bitty little hamlet of Bloomsbury. You can see it on the map, on the first maps of Wake. There were communities that were larger than Bloomsbury in Wake, by quite a bit in some cases. But it was where he lived, in his house, which he named, his house was named Wakefield. Dude named his house slash home and essentially decided that Bloomsbury would be, should be, the first county seat of the new county of Wake, his home. Think of what that would do for his business, including the tavern that he owned. Now, he later also became a state court judge, a founding member of the Wake County Court, later a member of the first NC Senate and a delegate to the NC State Constitutional Convention. He was also on the first board of trustees for the University of North Carolina. Now, I'm not going to say that the existence of Bloomsbury and Wakefield on early Wake County maps were the causes of the fame, prominence, or wealth of Joel Lane. His fame and fortune came before he arrived in Johnston, with his fortune being brought to him courtesy of the 40-plus people he held in slavery. But I'm not saying it's not either. Joe Lane clearly didn't suffer from being a surveyor-slash-mapmaker of the county in which he would and his family would be prominent players for generations. At least, it's a correlation, if it's not a causation. You can visit Wakefield, which is Joel Lane's house today. They do a pretty cool job of telling the story, and it's good and it's bad. That's, that's kind of nice. There's also a marker for the old village of Bloomsbury in Western Raleigh. So, I don't know, maybe the moral here is that if you have ambition, there's power in a name. There's power in a name. So, go name your house or something. Maybe someone will talk about you in a couple of hundred years. And thanks for listening. Until next time, y'all be good.